Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am Dan, and uh, another first for the Seahawks podcast show. Three shows in three days. Uh, and it's going to be four shows in four days because the official schedule release comes out from the league tomorrow. You're already seeing some of the leaks. The international games were announced today. The New York Jets announced they are playing a game on Black Friday this year. I uh, haven't seen anything Seahawks specific this morning, although I haven't combed uh, the entire reaches of the internet. But um, uh Join me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever for some of the discussion as those leaks come out. But after the entire schedule is released, I will, of course, do a reaction show and kind of break down how we think that looks for the Seahawks. But today is a very special day. I've been telling you about it, uh, teasing it for a while now, and it is time to reunite with my old field goals co-host, Dana O'Gorman, who is fresh off of the NFL draft a couple of weeks ago, which was held in her hometown of Kansas City. Dana, how are you? I'm good. Um, I am. I, I was. It was nice to have a week off of after the whirlwind of the draft. Mm, I bet. Yeah, it, great. It it was a lot of fun. So yeah, things are going well. So let's just get right into it. Um, yeah. I just give me the kind of the 360 degree view first of all. Talk about. We talked in advance uh, the last time I had you on the show about all the setup and everything that goes into it, and we got to see that on TV, and it's it's remarkable what they do. Uh, basically build a city within a city uh, that they will then tear down after three or four days. What was the entire experience like for you? Um, well, I, the first, I always say the best part of the draft for me was the fact that they had um, media parking. <laughs> so we did ah, not nice. do all that, but it was really interesting. So if you've never been to Kansas city, um, union station is a very historic building that we have downtown, still an active Amtrak station. Um, but it has all kinds. It has a, of an IMAX theater, it has a science center for kids. It's a very busy and beautiful old building. Mm. Um, and they literally took the whole thing over. Um, they weren't allowed to stop Amtrak service though. So they had to mm. have a place where people could still come in right. there. But, and then they built a stage on the outside of it that was actually taller than the building. It, it was amazing to see the size of this stage. Then they built their little areas in the front where the fans could sit. And those were the VIP um, fans. Those were the super fans from the teams that get to go and they get to be up close. And those are the ones you see mostly on television. And then across the street from Union Station, other than that beautiful fountain, which you guys saw often, yeah. um, is a hill and then the World War One uh, Museum and Memorial. What's great about that is it's a tiered hill. So it was perfect for people to go and sit and you could still watch. And it was kind of the general fan viewing area. And then on top of the monument and behind it is very flat. So that's where they had the NFL draft experience. So that is, and the Chiefs then had Chiefs Kingdom area over there too. They had their own specific area. So that's where you could kick the field goal, see all the Super Bowl rings, see the Lombardis, do all of those activities, do the 40 yard, you know, all of that stuff and all the food vendors and everything. So it was, it was very well set up, but it was in a very narrow corridor of Kansas City, which actually was nice because it left a lot of area for other things. Now, the interesting thing about right next to that area is um, the Weston Hotel. And that is where the media, the press conferences were held. That's where um, SiriusXM had their, they had an entire ballroom set up for just them. That, that was, a, it's a nice big area, but they're connected by a skywalk. And so that was really good so that then players could just come over and um, walk across the skywalk. In the media room, 
it is a giant ballroom full of tables and you have media from the whole world in there. It's so yeah. interesting. Now, no, we're, we're not talking about NFL network media or ESPN. They get their own space. They don't have to play with us little kids. They get to go <laughs> have their own bigger areas. Um, and then Radio Row had their own also. Um, but it was very interesting because you get to mix and me and get different perspectives on, you know, football, which was great. Last year in Vegas, um, we had assigned seating. This year in Kansas City, they did not assign a seating. And so we could sit anywhere. So I moved each day. So I could just kind of get to know and talk to other um, journalists. But was the my favorite part of covering the draft, and this is why I choose to cover the draft, over at Our Turf, we split up the events and who wants to do this and who wants to do that. And I always want the draft because it is like football Christmas morning for a seven-year-old, right? Like this <laughs> is where nothing but pure joy, unless you're Will Levis, but it was yeah, nothing but right. pure joy. There's always and one. These families are so excited. These players are so excited. The teams are so excited. You see team, you know, people from the teams coming through. The team media are in there with us, and so you get to see that. And it, it was just a lot of fun. It's very um, a very joyful experience. Where as things more like I've covered like the Pro Bowl and a few other things, it feels way more like business, which is should that is our job. But the draft, there's always a party element to it, and and I just I, I love it. I love going. It almost it it sounds like the way you describe it, and it also appears on TV like it's the week before the Super Bowl, kind of redone. Mm-hmm. Like it's that type of atmosphere, it, and it also felt very much. Uh, did it feel like this to you on the ground floor? Because it looked like a, a rock festival. It looked like a yeah. mad. It looked like Coachella for football. <laughs> well, Thursday night for sure. Holy cow! Yeah. Kansas City and everyone who came to town showed up. It was crazy. They figured there was about three hundred twenty thousand people through the draft. Um, the draft experience main entrance in the three days, and I the majority of them were on Thursday. That was just. It was crazy. It was elbows to elbows. I being over in the West End with the press um, that I, I could see through the windows and it was just fun. And it, the lights and the brights and the production, the NFL goes out, right? Um, but the other girls from our turf came in here. And so because we did a couple live podcasts, they were in the, they were in that group of fans. They were out there. They were talking to fans. They were getting fan reaction. Um, and they were like, there was not a sad person. Everyone was just so happy. It's just yeah. fun. They're dancing. They're having a good time. And so, yeah, very music festival-y, very, very rock festival-ish. And it's, that's exactly what the NFL has wanted it to become. That's why the giant yeah. stages, that's why all the lights, that's why all of that. Um, and, and it's just so that it can, A, draw more people in. And remember, it was free to get in. It's not like you had to pay a mm. ticket to get into this. You could just go unless you wanted a VIP ticket. Right. And um, But everything else, it's it, this is really a celebration of the NFL, but a celebration of their the fan bases too. Well, certainly a far cry from what uh, the event used to look like at Radio City Music Hall. And and but I don't, I don't think, I certainly didn't foresee this. And and now the league has announced they will never have another indoor draft again. That the focus right. will be on doing events just like we've seen the last mm-hmm. few years. I can't imagine even the NFL thought it would get this big and draw that many people. Well, I, I agree with you. And to be honest with you, it was brilliant planning by their strategic, um, by everyone who was so, like, p- that are picking these cities. Vegas, obviously, instant. You're going to have people that come for vacation, you know, get out of the cold that time of year if you live in the northern states or whatever it may be. But it also has to have things to do. Kansas City was brilliant because it's in the middle of the country. You have to remember, yeah. Kansas City 
is an eight hour drive from over a quarter of the population. It is wow. in the mid, literal yeah. middle of the country. And so everyone can get here. A lot of Dallas fans, eight hour drive to Dallas. There's a lot of Dallas fans, but so that was very strategic. I'm interested to see what happens in Detroit next year, because I'm yeah. not really understanding this strategic plan for that one. But what they are doing is they're trying to get to different fan bases. They're trying to bring more people in because once the fans feel engaged with the NFL, they become the lifelong fans. They realize that this is more um, than just sitting in front of your television watching the game. And so I think that that's brilliantly strategic, but they're also the NFL we have to remember is a sport, but it's entertainment too. Yeah. And so that's what they're trying to bring. Well, and now teams are going to be bidding on this and have been bidding on this mm -hmm. as if they're bidding for a Super Bowl. And th there have been varying reports about whether the, uh, Seattle may have been involved at any point in that process. Detroit might be a good litmus test next year for a Northern hemisphere uh, a city that, you know, the weather's not going to be great and, and see how that mm -hmm. goes. I asked you this before the draft. I'll ask you now that you've been there, um, and saw the spectacle that you saw in Kansas City. Can you see it working in Seattle? Uh, yes. And I say that hesitantly just because of two things. One, they have the public transportation. That was a huge part for Kansas City is they had to make sure their public transportation was up and ready, which turned out to be a great test for Kansas City because they're getting the World Cup in 2026. Mm. So now, I mean, it was the perfect. It went brilliantly. So Seattle has that public transportation aspect of it. The only thing I worry about in Kansas City, or I mean, I'm sorry, in Seattle, is the space for yeah. these events. Do you put it inside of one of the stadiums? Do you do this, do that? I mean, that that is all it. But everything else, yes, I think Seattle could do this. They can definitely do a Super Bowl. I don't think that would be an issue at all. Um, the draft being over three days and, and having a little more... Um, broader appeal i guess would be you know for yeah more. that's that, an interesting that, that point be, and it's not cheap to fly to seattle but at the right. same time it is a destination where people do want to go so you're going to get some pull so interesting the first thing that popped to mind is you know everyone would think about the stadium district but i don't know that it has the open spaces you're talking I, about yeah, I don't know that it but does. if it was just announced this week that uh the oakview group that that remodeled climate pledge arena or key arena into climate pledge and did such a marvelous job with it has put a bid into renovating memorial stadium and i don't know what the timeline is for that but i wonder oh. what once that's finished i wonder if that might make sense yeah. as a potential hub because then you'd have the whole seattle center with the whole courtyard there and everything outside of Climate Pledge, you'd have the stadium and the arena, the Space Needle as a backdrop. That would be brilliant. And yeah. what a perfect place to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's great. talk some Seahawks specific stuff. So you're there, you're at the draft, you're getting that immediate reaction from people. Uh, let's talk about the first couple of picks when Devin Witherspoon was announced as the pick at five after all the run up and all the analysis mm -hmm. and all the conversation we've had leading up to that and you've had on, on your other outlets. What was your immediate reaction? So I decided to film my reaction just because I was oh so convinced that it was going to be Jalen Carter. And I was so excited and I was so ready <laughs> for Pete Carroll to be like, screw you. I'm taking the best player in the draft. So I put up my little camera on my tripod and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting across from the Arrowhead Attic guys who, I mean, if you guys know SB Nation, you know the Arrowhead Attic guys and they're live streaming the whole time. So I'm trying to be quiet because I don't want to <laughs> And so I'm like trying to whisper and I'm like sitting there and they're like, Devin Witherspoon. I was like, huh? Like literally that space. I immediately shut off the recording because I was like, that's not going to be a nice thing to say. But 
I had to sit there for a minute. And I had a couple of podcasts who had asked me to hop on after that that fifth pick. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let's think about this, Dana. A corner, a corner. And I literally <laughs> had to talk myself into it for about five minutes was yeah. all. It was not too long. And then I was like, oh my God, that's such a Pete Carroll thing to do. Like mm-hmm. literally, like that is such a Pete Carroll thing. Well, good for you, AP. And honestly, at that point, I was so disappointed about Jalen Carter, but at the same time, I'm like, mm, there had to have been more to it for them. I really thought that um, Pete wouldn't have shied away from that unless he had a reason. He wasn't going to, you know, there had nothing to do with the media. This is yeah. Pete and John, and that they they must have had a reason. Uh, I'm still really wondering what that is, and that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah. I was like, okay, they just got the best player at a position that they needed. How can you be mad at that? And then I got to interview him and I'm, I adore this kid. He is just the most, he is such a Seahawks player. Everything about him, he just reminds me of every other Seahawks great we've had. It's, it it was a lot of fun. You can see uh, the attraction for sure. Mm -hmm. And I've even looked at it this way. I, if he, if that same dude played another position, they still might have drafted him. If he was an outside linebacker, if he was a if he was a running back, or a, I mean, just that mentality and that personality and that dogged determination to be great. And I think, you know, as is always the case every year, but especially lately because they have changed their process in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. we get clarity after the draft. And and as much as even in my shadow draft, I wrote down Jalen Carter. I thought. They met with them. They're probably comfortable with them. They're going to take a shot at them. It's a big enough draft class that they can afford uh, the bust potential. And then afterwards, you get to hear them talk and you get to kind of read between the lines. You get to hear their tone and they they try to be nice, but they don't they can't hide their tone. And it, and it just became very, very clear after the draft and listening to them and watching the way they conducted the rest of the draft mm-hmm. that, oh, I should have. I, I know I felt personally I should have known they were never going to take Jalen Carter. They were just never comfortable with the his his self motivation and his desire to be great and and we talked ourselves into it just because the tape right but then (laughs) I think Devin Witherspoon's tape might be the most fun tape I watched all season I mean it is it is you watch him hitting guys didn't focus on him a ton. You know, and I have admitted on every podcast I've gone on, I don't spend hours pouring over college guys' tapes. That's sure. just not who I am. I like you don't draft. need to with his. I I start <laughs> right. I I start paying attention to the draft after the Super Bowl, and then I try yeah. and get caught up so I can do that these these shows. Uh, I'm not a college football watcher other than my alma mater, which is Montana State, which is hard to find on television. So, um, hey, but, there's one of their linebackers is uh, yeah. signed as an undrafted free agent with Seahawks. <laughs> so interesting, though. Um, you're absolutely right about about Carter. We we probably should have known that. Interesting. I media has biases, as we all know. Sure. And there's this great event, and I can tell you about it later. But there's great event at the Play 60. It's the day before the draft, the first time drafts on Wednesday. Media gets to come, and the the draftees who are there go, and they basically do a camp with one of the high schools here in town. And they got to go to Central High School, which is dead center in, you know, Kansas City and most urban high school you can get. And it was fantastic. But what it does is it gives us the opportunity to actually talk to these kids, not in a scrum with a million other people shooting questions at them. And I liked Jalen Carter's tape. And then after I talked to him, I liked him as a person. So it was even harder for me. He was 
great. He was so sweet and so humble. And I loved this kid. And so then I was just like, oh, yes, we're so going to take Jalen Carter. So then Witherspoon, it was, a, I think, even a little bit more of a letdown. But then I went back and looked at my pictures and my video from Witherspoon at that event. He was hilarious. This kid is a crack up. Like, he just yeah. is so fun. And there was this great moment in his interview. Um, I had two really good things with him. But first, there was this great moment. He was asked by one of the other reporters in the room. He was asked, um, have you talked to Richard Sherman? He's like, no. He goes, do you want to talk to Richard Sherman? He goes, are you kidding? It's Richard Sherman. Of course I want to talk to Richard Sherman. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like yeah. he just like went off. And I was just like, oh honey, you're going to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. Um, and then the other one that was so exciting had to do with our second pick is just as he was coming out of his interview um, on the TV, Seattle was about to pick at 20. And so me and another person were like, you know, Seattle's about to pick. And so we stopped and turned to watch and I videotaped. That was a great video. It got lots of views and people were very excited about it. But, um, and he got to watch JSN get, get, um, taken by Seattle and mm. his reaction. And it just makes you think like, oh, this team, they, they're already gelling and they don't even hardly yeah. know each other yet. So what was your reaction to JSN being picked? Cause we talked at length about offense potentially being, the choice in the first round and you didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear so it. So to see it become <laughs> reality at 20, I don't want to say right. I told you so, but I kind of told you, you so. totally told me so. <laughs> you did. What were your immediate thoughts? Loved it. To be honest yeah. with you, at that point, I had kind of wrapped my head around that this was not the draft I thought they were going to have. Sure. And I'd seen some of the other players that went before them and I'm like, hmm they take the best player on the board, best player at a position. What, what are they doing? And you know, it's impossible as we have all learned, it's impossible to have any idea what they're doing. Right. right. And so then I'm just like, I was like, I don't know. But then to watch, I think Witherspoon's reaction to it is what was the first thing that yeah, made it really cool. okay with me because he was so excited. And so then I was sitting there and I was just like, okay, let's look at this. So I look the kid up. I use my, you know, Emory Hunt's draft guide, which I, mm -hmm. I preach to. And, and I looked it up and he's like, one, he's it. He's it. He's the guy, Dana. That's so great. And then I got really excited because I was like, they're going after high caliber players. They are looking oh. for blue chip guys with this first round and they got them. They nailed that first round perfectly. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, as we go into day two, are you get, are you a little nervous as you went to bed uh, after that first night from a Seahawks perspective? Yeah. Excited that they got two great players, the best yeah. player, pretty much universally accepted as the best player at two key positions. But did you go to bed a little nervous that they didn't address the trenches at all? God, yes. Hmm. I was just like, and then I'm looking, I'm pouring through okay who's left okay there's actually a lot of really good players left. like you mm -hmm. gotta play that game in your head and i'm like do they go center next what are they gonna do oh you know and then believe it or not i had the thought when Bajan robinson went in the first round because you remember there was some conversation there about there might not be a running back taken in the first round he yeah. might fall to the top of the second round even though he's so insanely talented right and i was like but he went first are they going to drive this fan base crazy and get a running back? And then they did. And I was just like, but I didn't think it'd be that. I thought it'd be a little bit later, but that's okay. Yeah. But um, I was nervous and I was like, okay, but the line, but the line, but the line, right? Like we just kept thinking about that. And I had literally spaced out at that point 
because we'd been so focused on college players that they had picked up love. And so I was like, oh God, that secondary is going to be so good. Like I started trying to spin my hair there. Mm -hmm. And then I was just like, but the line. <laughs> and so it was, so we'll see. I, I, I was, I was nervous and yet there was absolutely no way to predict what they were going to do. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, even John said, it, and there was some more clarity provided a couple of days ago by John Boyle in the piece he wrote for the Seahawks website about where he was given full access to the war room during the draft process, where when John had first mentioned after day two that there were some upsets, we all took that to mean there were some a bunch of specific players they had hoped would fall to them that didn't. And there was some of that. But now we know that what he meant by that also is that that third round in particular, one of the reasons they traded out of that is it was one thing to hear him say there were some guys taken in that round that were on their medical board that they weren't going to touch at that point. Mm -hmm. But for him to say that there were players being drafted in the third round that they had rated as undrafted free agent prospects, that's what told me, okay, this draft's a crapshoot. More than any, any year we've ever seen, which is why I went to bed the second day even more nervous because they still hadn't addressed the trenches. What, what are your overall thoughts on what they did on day three then to kind of wrap up the whole draft class? Right. So, you know, when you get it in two and you look at Derek Hall, and I find fascinating the reaction to Derek Hall. Uh, the people around me, the people in the media room loved that pick. They loved Derek Hall. They loved everything about him. I had more people come up and said, oh man, you just got your leader. You just got your your mm. your leader after Bobby's gone and and people are like talking this kid up and then I hear people like well he's not bendy well he's not this well he's not that and I'm like mm, I think that that jump to judgment might have been a little fast and I don't know what your thought is on him but I was like no I think that he's gonna be one of those guys that we find we should have been happy about when they drafted him and I think that's exactly what my reaction was so yeah. I, in all of the hundreds and hundreds of mock drafts I've, I did, mm -hmm. I don't think I ever mocked Hall to the Seahawks once. Right. And it was because when you watch his tape and even when you read about his game, mm -hmm. there's nothing flashy about it. He's not that type of player. It doesn't stand out. He doesn't make splash plays. And that Auburn defense, just kind of the way that they played, everybody has to be assignment sound. It's not, there mm -hmm. just isn't a lot of sizzle. And I also, I didn't know his background. If I had known his background and read about the things he had to overcome as, as a tiny, tiny little premature baby, I, I might've thought, well, that's a Seahawk. Right. And I might've looked closer at him, but he's one of those. And it seems like there's a pick like this every year where mm -hmm. not as familiar with them, just didn't, didn't stand out to me as somebody that I should pay attention to. But afterwards you do all the work on him. Okay, that makes sense. And now I'm excited about him yeah. and the role solid, they have in solid, mind. Solid. And yeah. then to read John's piece that they had a first round grade on him. Yeah. And he was one of less than 20 players that they did, and he was the only one left, and that they considered him at 20. 
if JSN hadn't have been there. That the fact they have that conviction for him and the role mm-hmm. they think he's going to play in their locker room and on the field, I'm sold on the pick now. Right. Love that. Yeah. And then the running back, of course, made everyone's head explode. So that was, and I, sure except mine. Know. I get it. And I know. I get it too. <laughs> and people love him. And I love yeah. the minute they're like, oh, Dana, you got the new Marsh on. I'm like, yes, yeah. we did. Thank you. That's one of those that. picks that they, they hate in the moment because they've heard other people say that you shouldn't take running backs that high. But as soon as or they, they see him. take a running back in the Right. <laughs> Why do we need another one? Well, because. They get hurt. You always need more. But but come September, everyone's going to forget about that when they see this kid play because he can play. And he might. You know what? He might be the best running back on the roster. I'm just saying. I'm just it's saying. Be, oh God, just think about having two that are that good. I mean, yeah. ESPN already has him above DJ Dallas in the depth chart. So, yeah. I mean, that that tells you something right there, yeah. in my opinion. So, then you get to the third day. And to be honest with you, I did not go to the draft on the third day. I decided that was our tourist day. And so, I took all the people that were staying at my house. And we did all kinds of fantastic Kansas City things. We went and ate a lot of barbecue. We went and um, to the Negro Leagues Museum, Baseball Museum. So, if you ever come to Kansas City, it is a absolute must-go. It is mm. the most wonderful place. Absolutely. Um, took them out, did an arrowhead tour did all that kind of fun stuff so that was neat um and then um but we were watching i was keeping very close track on my phone as it as it rolled and that's when i'm like oh here they go this is this is where they're getting all these depth guys they're getting some players that they probably think actually could end up being starters Mm -hmm. um and um and if not they got some some depth to them they're going to see what's going to go on here um i think the ones that everyone kind of is talking about they talk about Bradford at the guard position they talk yeah. about Mike Morris just because that great video when he got the call God love him that was just so yeah. fun um and then Olu Olu the center you know I think that that's pretty exciting too so I think that they got some good players these are players that people respected but mm-hmm. they um you know I think that they just expected the glaring need of the defensive line to be a higher priority and I find it fascinating that they didn't yeah it- and, and they're still short and, and we've, yeah. we've talked about it. Uh, I know you've probably talked about it on your shows and, and I've talked about it on mine. They still need to add bodies and they will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly an opportunity there for those undrafted guys too, because mm-hmm. they, they literally, as we sit here today, if you don't count the undrafted free agents, uh, there's five interior defensive linemen on the roster and they started last season with seven on the 53. Mm-hmm. So they're going to add veterans, whether that's bringing a Shelby Harris back or whatnot. But yeah, I, think that's what I, I think what happens and I, and I really like the players they took on day three. And again, because mm-hmm. they had conviction about these players. When you read that John Boyle piece again, these weren't guys that they settled for because they happened to fall to them and their, and their favorite targets were gone. These were guys they really hoped would fall to those spots. Right. Yeah. Uh, Oluwatimi was the best example of that, where there was a center they liked earlier. They weren't that upset they didn't get him because they were targeting Oli in that spot. And once he was on the clock, there was a trade offer and John shut it down. No, we're taking this guy. We're not losing this one. <laughs> yeah. And that that means more to me than anything. Whether they're, right. And now we'll find out over the next few years how their evaluations pan out. But I think what happens with in the case of like a Cameron Young is, mm-hmm. you know, most of the fan base doesn't follow the draft that closely. They, they don't study. They don't watch tape. They just read what others are writing. And guys like Miles Murphy, Brian Brzee, those are names that you started hearing at the beginning of the college football mm-hmm. season is when the early mocks come out. So if you're a casual right. Seahawks fan, you know we have high picks. Those are the names that stick. You don't hear about Cameron Young. 
You don't know he's a four-year starter who's highly productive, played in a great conference against great players, future NFL offensive linemen, and and doing the dirty work, playing 90% of snaps. You just don't know that about a guy. And so your immediate, what you don't know, scares you sometimes. Right. And I think now people are catching up. Well, and other, then we also have to be reminded, and it's like we have to remind ourselves every single year this is their bread and butter. Day mm-hmm. three is their bread and butter. That is where they find their guys that make impacts. Hello, Tariq Wallen. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is where they get those guys. And so you should look at every single one of those guys as a huge opportunity because they've nailed that section of the draft so many times over and over and over. And the other thing I tell people is, is look, training camp doesn't start for another couple of months. And historically, the Seahawks have been very good. It, they haven't had great success at every position group adding veteran players, but defensive linemen they have, and they have a long history. Al Woods was like a kind of a scrap heap. You know, is he washed up late, cheap addition to the roster a few years ago? Look how he turned out. Quentin Jefferson, when they brought him back that first time, same thing. He really didn't have a market. It was late in the process. They're going to add players like that. And when they go to training camp, I think people are going to feel a lot better about that mix. Oh, I think so, too. And it's just exciting. The team is getting young. I mean, let's talk about it. This team is getting younger and younger and younger. And that's what we love, right? We want to see new. And there were so many players in this draft. And so that's just really exciting. There was a large contingent of people on Twitter who really wanted them to trade out of number five or number 20. And I'm just so glad they didn't. I'm so glad that they just said, no, we get that we're used to just accumulating a thousand picks. That hasn't always worked for us. And we need to nail this first round because they are probably most likely, hopefully, not going to have that opportunity again for a long time. Indeed. Um, so non Seahawk stuff, uh-huh. share your favorite moment or two from the entire mm-hmm. experience. There was a couple, like I, like I was talking before about that, the play 60 event, you know, you really get to sit down and chit chat with players. And there were a couple players who, you know, they give you kind of the standard answer. There were a couple guys who were deer in the headlights. Like they had no mm-hmm. idea. Oh my God. God love. Is it Christian Gonzalez? He was just like one word answer. He was so stressed out. The poor kid. Wow. But, um, there were a couple. So the first one, Will Anderson, I get the hype. You that that the Texans could not have done that first round any better than they did. They hammered that one home. And Will Anderson is the reason. Nothing against CJ Stroud. But Will Anderson is he just stood out among those that group of men. He was he is a leader. He he wants to engage with people. He is a player at however old he is, looks a reporter dead in the eye to answer them. And that is yeah. rare. You will find that that is really rare, even for current players, you know, older players. And he was just, he made such an impression on me. Jalen Carter made an impression on me too. He was not, I don't know what I expected for him, in, but it wasn't. He's he was a very gentle kind of demeanor, doesn't he, for, for a guy that big? Yeah. Of a guy, right. And so I was like, oh, I could just, I, in my head, P, I'm like, oh, Pete's just going to scoop him up. <laughs> That's okay. But, um, and then I will tell you that I, as you well know, and anyone who pays attention to what I say, knows I'm not a huge fan of quarterbacks, right? Like they just aren't my jam so very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, there were people swarming Bryce Young at this thing and swarming CJ Stroud, who I got to interview CJ Stroud later and sweet kid, nice, nice kid. Not, not at all quarterback cocky. I can't say that about all the rest of them, but the one that made the biggest impression of me on me was Anthony Richardson. Yeah. So I walked up. He was yeah. literally standing in the middle of this football field by himself. There was no one around him. So I just walked up and started talking with him, asked him a couple of questions, got those out for, for content. But then I sat there and just talked to him for a minute. And this kid 
he is so focused. He is so calm. He completely understands that he has a lot to learn and he is not afraid to learn it. He completely believes in himself without any ego. I, my opinion of him wasn't bad before. I didn't know anything about him. And I came out of there just completely like, I get it. And if these teams were interviewing him, I get why he slowly moved up the board. He then told us in his after um, post-draft interview that he knew he was going to be taken by the Colts. The Colts had already told Mm. him that he was not going to get past them, that if he was there, that's who he was taking. And, And so he knew. And so I'm sure that had to have been a big relief for him. And I understood why he was so calm at the play 60 thing. Cause right. I thought, well, for a guy who's it's worried nice he might know. slip to the second round. <laughs> no, he knew better, which is great. But, and he's thrilled to go there. And his, the most impressive thing, one of the most impressive things he said was he said, I get to go. Cause someone's like, are you, you know, how do you feel about going to the Colts? You know? And he goes, you mean Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck's team? Yeah. I'm okay with going yeah. and, and getting to walk in those footsteps. And I'm like, oh, kid, that fan base just fell in love with you. You're good. You're good to go. And so to play for a head coach who's proven play. he can develop and get the most out of a quarterback. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it, when all is said and done, um, he's going to end up having the best career of all oh, those guys sure. that were oh, taken yeah. in this draft. Love yeah. that kid. Yeah. But I have to tell you my favorite moment. My absolute favorite moment actually came after the Arizona Cardinals pick. So Arizona Cardinals picked Paris Johnson Jr. Mm-hmm. I had no idea his dad had played for them. And he came up and they were asking him all kinds of questions and i thought hmm, this kid is like yay the cardinal like i you know you don't know because the cardinals have a lot of holes to fill they had a great draft yeah. but um but he was giddy and i didn't know why and his parents whole family they come and they stand in the back of the press room and they're like chad they're so excited and they're like you know how do you feel about going to the cardinals and he said um and this isn't a quote it's just kind of what he said he said that he's no he's not close with his dad but the fact of going and playing for the same team that drafted him yeah. in his head was the only place he belonged. For some reason, he had thought, I need to be an Arizona Cardinal. So to hear his name, and he got, you know, he didn't even cry at him. He got very emotional. He's like, this is where I belong. I need to make that team better. And he was so excited about that. And I thought, I was so pissed day two that Joey Porter Jr. left because I wanted to talk to him about that same situation, him going to Pittsburgh. And he left. They all left except for Brian Branch. God love you for staying, Brian Branch. So, (laughs) but I thought, oh my God, this is when it means more than I just got a job. And I loved, I absolutely loved that. I like what the Cardinals did. I mean, they're in full on rebuild. I don't think they're going to be, you know, you know, something that we have to worry about. Yeah. But but they they had a really nice first draft under that new regime, I thought. Yeah, it's a really good start. Much better than the Rams and much better than San Francisco's draft. Holy yeah. cow. Don't get me started. Well, you must you must feel pretty good about your roster if you're taking a kicker in the third round. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the nice way to put it. Right. Uh, final question. You just touched on it a minute ago, and I'm mm-hmm. glad you did because it reminded me how much you, uh, despite all of the smoke and all of the buzz, mm-hmm. that you were... I don't know. Terrified might be a strong word. You did not like the idea of the Seahawks entertaining the 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 quarterback selection. Yeah. Did you breathe a big sigh of relief once you realized they weren't going to go that way? I I did it for two reasons. Number one, I, that was not a position of need for them, and I was so adamant that they couldn't just do it because the media and the fan base sort of was pushing them to do that. Secondly, I had a bet on that. I, oh. I had someone who sat down. That was now the truth charity. comes out. That the, that the Seahawks would not take 
a quarterback okay. at five and thank god they didn't i mean i would have happily given the money to charity but i was like ha, yeah. we were right but it was but i just don't my overall thing is gino did the team a huge favor in the contract that he got right mm -hmm. we all understand that and he did it because he i can't, i haven't spoken to him so i can't say for sure but in my mind it is because he understands the opportunity he has he understands you know where the team is he understands his age he gets all of it right but he also wants to win mm -hmm. and there would be no point in bringing in a quarterback and even though i enjoyed anthony richardson so much i don't want him yeah. on my team right now yeah and so because then what happens gino has one bad game and you have all the noise of the fans bring in the rookie bring in the rookie no that is not where they wanted to be yeah it was a little sad what is it dorian thompson robert what is his name yeah from ucla Yes, DTR. I would have loved him in the fourth round. Yeah. I'm a little pissed at the Browns, but I just one of those. Yet another year goes by where John Schneider says, "I I want to draft a quarterback every year, but it just hasn't happened." It doesn't well. happen. So I'm I'm glad that that didn't have to be the focus. They're going to let they're going to let Gino be, mm -hmm. and that's what we need to do to build the rest of this roster. They can look at a quarterback in a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dana, it's always good to have you on the show, but it was especially great to get that kind of perspective from you for those, you know, that, that really didn't watch the draft or just don't understand what a big event it's become. It's, you know, people love to criticize Roger Goodell, but man, this league's in better shape than it's ever been mm -hmm. before. And, and things like this are, are definitely a big part of that. Um, let the fans know where they can uh, see your content. Oh, well, you know, most of you just find me on Twitter. That's as fun as Dana OG. Um, I still do the Archer Football Podcast. We um, have spaced out our shows a little bit for the off season, but we'll be back, um, of course. And we have a great time over there. And then I still do Real Hawk Talk with the Hawk Blogger Boys. Um, and that too is kind of spaced out. I think that's why everyone loves you so much, Dan, is because you're consistent. You're always Because I have nothing better to do. Everybody else <laughs> takes the summer off and I love that you don't. Um, it's so good. That's right. I'm, um, I'm doubling yeah. down while everyone else takes a break. I think it's brilliant. And I appreciate you still having me come on, even though the field goals thing is done now. I, I just love chatting. Absolutely. And we'll continue to do so. Yeah. Thanks again, Dana. Uh, I'm Dan at Seahawks forever on Twitter. Please like, and subscribe to the YouTube page. I will be back uh, tomorrow or uh, Friday morning, at least with a full reaction to the Seahawks full schedule release tomorrow. Until then, thanks for listening. See you then.